This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. On Wednesday, Ontario's Auditor General released a scathing report on the state of long-term care and the sector's inability to protect nursing home residents when the pandemic struck. It was the latest in a long line of reports, which have largely been ignored by successive governments over a period of decades. The report found that lax inspections and the Ford government's slow response worsened the situation. But long-term care minister Marilee Fullerton says the PCs were left with putting out a fire in a burning building. So what does Bonnie Lissick hope will come of her work and the recommendations attached to it? The Auditor General joined Libby Snymer on Thursday. I think it's fair to say that a lot of the recommendations from the past with respect to infection prevention and control that came out of the SARS commission, the expert commission there, with respect to that, we know that infection prevention control in the long-term care homes was not where it needed to be when the pandemic hit. And and that being the case, thing that you know, the cases spread quite quite quickly. The compounding of that was the systemic issues in terms of you know, having more than two people in a room, having three or four. So the systemic issue did contribute to that. Um, you know, there there were things that happened during COVID that um, caught, maybe contributed a little bit more to the confusion and to the outcomes. And that would have been, um, at the time when the system is broken, um, more direct guidance is needed. The homes needed to have very, very clear guidance as to how to deal with the uh, pandemic Um you know, from public health and from the hospitals and from the, the chief medical officer of health. So uh, uh, it's a combined, I would say there's there's a combined issues that uh, that led to what we saw. How do stakeholders see this? Let's bring in Donna Duncan, CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association, and Jane Meadis, staff lawyer and the institutional advocate at the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly. Let's begin with Jane. What is your reaction to the report and what you just heard Bonnie Lissick saying? Well, I mean, you know, the reaction to the report is that it's, you know, nothing new, as she said. You know, these are all things that uh, were problems um, and, you know, uh, continue to be problems in long-term care. And I don't see that um, it's going to change. I'm very disappointed in the minister's response to this and her you know, seeming lack of understanding of what the government's role was in this. You know, they were pushing people into long-term care. They didn't take proper steps. They didn't have any plans um, uh, going in. They didn't have any plans in the summer. And I think this just just goes to show, you know, exactly what the ministry, what the government's opinion is. It's, you know, and we're seeing it now with these new forced um, transfers to long-term care homes and, and retirement homes, which are not long-term care homes, and which will have no oversight. I mean, it's just, it's incredibly and, insane. And no medical, or almost no medical, uh, you know, no medical care in them. It's another tragedy just, you know, on the brink. I'm, I'm just terrified. Donna, what's your view of this report? 
no surprises, and uh, the way the minister reacted to it. We knew that we were facing a perfect storm before this hit. Uh, and we knew that, uh, you know, we've had decades of neglect of a system. Uh, and quite honestly, I would say that we all failed our seniors. We can't lose sight of the fact these are human beings. And uh, we've got to all retain our, our empathy and compassion for the people who died for their families, but also for, for those frontline staff who've just been traumatized through this. We've been uh, working with Ontario Health and the government around um, how are we going to respond to this extraordinary new new order uh, around transfers into long-term care. And if you're going to move someone here, you, you have to make sure that we have nursing staff, that we have medical supports, uh, and potentially also psychotheriatric supports uh, for some of these placements. So um, those commitments have been made to the sectors, that this will be a partnership, uh, and that... Uh, this is a this is a tool that will, will only be used in, in extraordinary circumstances, uh, and really the focus is on voluntary transfers into into homes uh, in partnership with with the patients who will transition into becoming residents and their families. Donna Duncan, CEO of the Ontario Long Term Care Association, Jane Medes, staff lawyer and the institutional advocate at the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly, and before them, Auditor General Bonnie Lissick. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back also got immediate reaction to the Auditor General's report when it was released on Wednesday. That was the same day we learned from the Health Minister, Christine Elliott, that patients receiving alternate level of care in hospitals may be moved to long-term care homes or retirement homes without their consent in order to free up beds and resources for COVID patients. Libby was joined by Dr. Doris Grinspun, CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario, NDP Deputy Leader Sarah Singh, and David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President at Zoomer Media. Well, there's a bit of a double whammy here. They're just floundering. The, the it's, it's amazing that they're allowing this. She says it's going to be in very rare cases. They're going to make every effort. It almost sounds like they don't know. I mean, don't they know whether a given patient has been vaccinated or not? She also didn't say they're going to insist that they be tested, I assume, minimally. Interestingly, in the Auditor General's report, I had an opportunity to skim through the 107 pages in the last hour. It did mention this ALC uh, transfer during the first wave of COVID as having been very uh, haphazard and disorganized and causing problems in some places, but not others. Um, so it, it seems like it's a, a step to relieve the pressure from the hospitals, uh, maybe out of desperation, but not terribly, uh, uh, terribly well thought through. MPP Singh. No, I think, uh, you know, Libby, as, as you highlighted, I think that's what's really concerning to us. That I think there was uh, a sort of hope that this might be a voluntary uh, measure that would be put in place. Um, and it's absolutely heartbreaking to think that, you know, seniors are going to be sent uh, far, far away from their families uh, without any, uh, you know, opportunity to object with that or even receiving their consent. Um, you know, we, we already know that uh, long-term care, uh, you know, devastating impacts throughout the pandemic. Um, and that there are staffing shortages in, in many of these homes. And so to know that folks are going to be moved around um, in, in the capacity that, that's 
Minister suggesting is deeply troubling um, and very, very concerning that there isn't a, a lot of clarity around what's going to happen and, and what types of protections are going to be put in place for these vulnerable seniors. It's just really disappointing that uh, this Conservative government and, in fact, the Liberals before them really didn't make the investments we needed uh, to protect our seniors. And now, you know, even as the Auditor General outlines, uh, you know, we see this sort of perfect storm happening here throughout COVID and uh, really think that many of our vulnerable seniors are, are paying the price here for the government's inaction. David continues with us, and I yes, am bringing in Doris Greenspoon, who's the CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. ALC patients can now be moved to nursing homes without their consent. What is your reaction? The whole situation is atrocious, Libby. It is horrifying. The fact that we need to move 1,500, and many have been moved already, to, to long-term care simply because the government is mismanaging yet again a third wave. And to do so without consent is basically, yet again, first wave and first wave, we deprive them from the rights to have their families. Now we are depriving them from the rights to make a choice and to be with their essential care partners, because if they move them far away, they will again not see them. But there is something more seriously that I want to share with your audience. I don't think we have a government today. And this is a statement that is the first time I'm saying it throughout this entire pandemic. I think Ontario today does not have a functioning government. And that's dangerous for the public because we are in the midst of a brutal third wave, and this will continue. It's, it's like a perfect storm. All these little neglectful things pile up and pile up. It's not the building you're moving them to. It's the shortage of care, the inability to deliver the care there. So my big win, I freed up the hospital bed, which I certainly need to do, only to deliver somebody who needs care, the kind of care maybe that you saw uh, Libby, yourself, that you were counted, suddenly, who's going to deliver that care? We don't have enough nurses. We don't have enough PSWs. The, the nursing homes are, are engulfed already. All you're doing is, you know, squeezing the toothpaste out of the tube and dropping it in somebody else's lap. And that's not a solution. David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President at Zoomer Media. Doris Grinspun, CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. And NDP Deputy Leader Sarah Singh. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break, how overburdened are hospitals that they have to send patients to long-term care? Libby speaks with a critical care physician next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. The reason for granting hospitals the right to move older patients to long-term care or retirement homes without their consent is because hospitals are at risk of being overwhelmed with COVID patients. To get a firsthand look at the situation, Libby was joined on Wednesday by Dr. Jamie Spiegelman, internal medicine and critical care physician at Humber River Hospital. 
we're de- definitely uh, pretty deep into the third wave right now. Um, it seems to have plateaued, but it's really hard to interpret day by day in terms of where we're going. But clearly, uh, our ICUs and hospital are full, full of COVID patients um, that we've accumulated over the last two to three weeks. Definitely, we saw a spike in admissions about two weeks ago and to the hospital, not only to medical wards, but to the ICU with patients that are, are very sick. Um, and uh, it's quite interesting to see this third wave population because what we're seeing is for sure the patients in, are younger. They're anywhere between the age of 20 and 99 we've seen in the last couple couple of weeks. But uh, in general, the average age would be 50 to 60s. And what we've noticed is a lot of these patients that are coming in are essential workers or family members are essential workers and all their family are getting COVID. So we're seeing families with COVID and some of patients, some of these people in their family, the family members are very, very sick, requiring ICU and ventilators. Some of them just have a sore throat. So we're seeing definitely variable phenotypes of uh, COVID with family members. And we're, we're at the point where we are pretty full in the hospital and what the government has done and the ICU in Ontario have done is we basically made all ICUs in Ontario one big ICU. So what we're doing right now on a daily basis is we're taking one of some of our ICU patients that have COVID and sending them to other areas that have low, lower rates of COVID. For example, today I sent a patient to Ottawa, Thunder Bay, and Kitchener where they really don't have too many COVID patients. And the purpose of this is to make space in our hospital just in case we do get into a significant surge in the next couple of weeks where we need beds and nurses to take care of these patients. So the issues we're having in the ICU really are twofold. Uh, One of them is the number of COVID patients. And the other one is lack of nurses that could take care of these patients. We, Doctor Spiegelman, not- Doctor Spiegelman, I just want to ask you something. I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure if if you heard the news that came out this morning. The health minister and the head of the Ontario Health teams announced yeah. that uh, they are now giving hospitals the right to transfer alternate level of care patients. Uh, to nursing homes, to long-term care without their consent. Were you aware of that? That just happened. Yeah, yeah no, I know. I, I heard about it. And, and you know, it's a very political decision to do that uh, decision by the government. However, I do think, at least temporarily, it's probably the right decision because we are taking care of patients in hospital and medical wards that don't need hospitalization. They just, they're waiting for a nursing home and they select a nursing home that have a wait list. So, Right now, I think we have to decant those patients to appropriate level of care so we have space for COVID patients. To end on a hopeful note, uh, at the beginning, you said you think this might be plateauing? It seems like that from uh, from what we're seeing in our hospital. I, I can't really talk about other hospitals like Brampton's still pretty busy. But at Humber River Hospital, our uh, COVID emissions have kind of plateaued. We're still getting getting patients admitted. For example, two weeks ago, there was one day we admitted something like 30 or 30 COVID patients to the hospital, which is a quite significant number of patients. And over the last 24 hours, I counted about eight patients were admitted. Uh, so, so we are seeming to plateau. But that being said, those 35 patients that were admitted two weeks ago are still in hospital. They're still sick. And some of them are trickling down to ICU requiring intubation and ventilation. So we are still dealing with the effects of 
those patients that we saw two weeks ago. So I'm hoping that we are plateauing and then two weeks from now, those numbers keep on going down and we don't have to admit ongoing to the ICU and putting more and more patients on ventilators as they deteriorate. Dr. Jamie Spiegelman, internal medicine and critical care physician at Humber River Hospital. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. After months of pressure to legislate a paid sick day program in Ontario, the Ford PCs finally announced a plan and then approved it in the legislature. It offers workers three days when their pay will continue as usual, up to $200 a day, and then employers will be reimbursed by the provincial government. After the three days, the workers could still apply for the much-criticized federal recovery sickness benefit, which the Tories have offered to pay to double that benefit from $500 to $1,000 a week for up to four weeks. But the federal program is only eligible for workers who've either tested positive for COVID or need to isolate because of a workplace outbreak. For reaction, fight back went to Dr. Nahid Dosani, a palliative care physician and health justice activist, Rocco Rossi, president and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, and Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown. Well, I want to start off by saying it's uh, progress. Uh, this is something we've been pushing for for a long time. Uh, listen, I, I, I know no announcement is going to be uh, perfect. There are always going to be critics, but they put a lot on the table here, and it's a $2 billion um, uh, provincial uh, commitment. Uh, the three days are going to help. Um, the enhancement of the federal benefit is going to help. So I would say I'm, uh, I'm encouraged. I know some people will say, you know, why isn't it four day, 14 days? Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's still a, a, an important tool that we didn't have before, so I believe uh, this, this will help. What about the timing? Is it, is it sort of too little too late? Listen, I, I wish that we had it six months ago. I think it would have helped uh, curb the escalation of cases. Clearly, if 25% of our cases have been traced back to people going into work sick, um, I don't think there was an, initially an appreciation for how vulnerable some essential workers are in terms of living paycheck to paycheck and not being able to, to miss a paycheck because if they did, they wouldn't be able to put food on the table or pay their rent. But, you know, I have to acknowledge um it's still going to help. Um, you know, we're not out of this yet. Uh, we're going to have a tough uh, next uh, month, at least, likely tough few months, and th- this will be a tool that will help. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful. Uh, y- you know, it doesn't help anyone to look backwards and, and, and criticize. I, I, as a mayor, I just try to look forward and, and get whatever tool I can to help our residents, and this is a tool that's going to help. Let's go to Rocco Rossi, President and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. What's your reaction? We've been calling for some time at the OCC of the importance of, of paid sick days as a key measure, a key tool uh, to help us manage this crisis, paid sick leave, so that people do not have to make the choice between doing the right thing by public health for all of us, versus putting food on the table. Uh, the big piece that needs to still be sorted out and I think would would truly make it uh, a fabulous program is, is really the top-up that the province has promised on the federal program 
because then that gets you into several weeks, not just three days of coverage. And that's the piece that's got to be made seamless because that um, will 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 respond in the best possible way. Um, but to those who say, well, you know, not enough, what I would say is it's, it's better than where we were yesterday. What we need to do is get it to a point where it does the job that it's intended to do, which is really take that horrible choice off the table for employees. I'd like to bring in Dr. Nahid Dosani, who is a palliative care physician and a health justice activist. What don't you like about this program? I think one of the first things we have to recognize is that um, paid sick days uh, have evidence to work. But what we've also seen is that this plan uh, was not the best uh, paid sick days plan in North America, not even close. It offers three days um, in, in a pandemic where people need a minimum of time to isolate. It's like giving three days of antibiotics when a prescription really calls for 10 days. Isn't it uh, better than what we had before? You know, it, it's better. You know, three days is better than nothing. But why should we be settling for better than nothing? Our patients need at least 10 days and another 14 during public health emergencies. We've been calling essential workers, quote unquote, heroes. And it's very clear that this government values the labor of essential workers, but not their lives. The argument for paid sick days that are legislated and employer paid is not exotic. 16 states in the United States have permanent legislated employer paid sick days. Not to mention that the fact that this announcement um, and announced a plan that wasn't seamless in addition to not being adequate. Dr. Nahid Dosani, palliative care physician and health justice activist. Raka Rossi, president and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. And Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. Here are some of this week's best calls. Dennis in Brampton phoned about the new three days of legislated sick pay. I'm having some difficulty understanding why uh, the government is expected to pick up the entire tab. Does this mean that large employers, and I understand smaller business would have difficulty paying paid sick days, but are we going to be, in effect, subsidizing large employees, and I'll throw in Amazon, Walmart, and Loblaws as examples, and I'm sure there are many others. Murray called about personal support workers who have and have not received the COVID vaccine. We still don't know for sure if getting the vaccine will stop us from spreading the virus. So this, this is going to turn into a bigger issue than what we thought. But if everybody in the home where people are being transferred are vaccinated, then they're not going to get seriously ill, we hope. So asking uh, PSW if they have the uh, had the shot yet or not really doesn't matter. And even if you do, don't they have the right? Like if I asked uh, PSW to come in my home and I asked them if they had the uh, shot yet 
and they don't want to disclose it. I still have the option of saying, well, you can go home or call somebody else. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Sita in Mississauga, who phoned about the decision to move some older hospital patients into long-term care while the CEO of the Registered Nurses Association, Doris Grinspun, was on Fightback. I think you guys are looking at this all wrong. By moving the patients into care home, these patients will not be in the hospital where they're being there for so long and not having the specific care. By being in in these homes, we will be freeing up the beds where patients in the hospital can go and come. The only issue is that they shouldn't should have a choice to go into the right home. But so they hope- don't. They said they the reason they're in hospital is because they don't have a, a exactly. place. And the other piece that to assume that in nursing homes they will receive the best better care than in the hospital when the poor homes don't have the staffing because nothing has changed between the announcement to today in terms of increasing staffing. Nothing. Well, they should come down more harder on these homes. These home, people are paying their, to be into these homes to have the love and the care that they need for the rest of their life. But they are just making profits. They should be charging the persons who is in charge. I mean, care workers who are working there, they should all be vaccinated so they can go from home to home freely. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.